Mark chapter 10, verse 33. Behold. So this was last week when they rode in to Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would come in on a donkey over palm leaves and they would be shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a passage from that moment. Behold, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes and they and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, which is non-Jew. And they will mock him and they will scourge him. Do you know what scourging is? You seen those things with the whips and the and the and the, and the spikes and they 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 beat people when they were wanting to hurt somebody. They scourge Christ with that and they will scourge him and they will spit on him. Has anybody ever been spit on? On purpose, not on accident. We all got that family member who has a little bit of issues. <laughs> Just kidding. My grandpa used to do that a lot. They will mock him, scorch him, spit on him, and kill him. And on the third day, everybody say the third day, he will rise. On the third day, he will rise again. You may be seated in God's presence today. God, I ask that you touch this word right now. Let it flow as you'd have it flow. Let it land on somebody today that needs this word in this house and online. Let it touch hearts today, God, in Jesus' name. Preaching stories, everybody knows, is probably the hardest message to preach because everybody knows the story, you know? Christmas, Easter, those are the hardest messages to preach because everybody already knows the story. So as a pastor, it's, God, what do I say? It's, it's, it's the same story. And that's okay, he says, because when you just preach my word, my words are life. And even when they've heard it, sometimes we need to hear it again. But I do try to pull something different out of the text each time so that you leave with something new. And as I always say that you're better than yesterday. And I was looking at those two verses and how it's all centered around this idea of three days. And does anybody ever like when they get a three-day weekend like with work, does anybody, has anybody ever had a three-day weekend? One person has had a three-day weekend. Okay, okay, thank you, Lord. We are in America, okay. <laughs> a three-day weekend is the best because it's like not the norm. So you, you, you're like, oh, yeah, bonus. Maybe I can sleep in, unless you have kids. Maybe I can do this or that. Or at my house on a three-day weekend, we've got this extra day where we don't feel the pressures of going back to school or work on Monday. Y'all get that back to school, back to work feeling on Sunday night still. Do you still get that? Or am I the only weird person that still gets that back to school feeling? And I'm a grown man with four kids and Sunday night's like, oh, Monday. It's a little better now that I'm 42. But we like to plan slumber parties, sleepovers, and you know, maybe barbecue, especially when the, when the third day lands on Monday. We like to whip out the grill, and everybody knows what we grill here in St. Louis. In the loo, we grill the pork steaks, right? We throw them in the oven, and we slather them in barbecue, and we call it barbecue. And then my Nashville friends say, that's not barbecue. 
and they make fun of me, and I, I say, okay, but that's just what I know, and it's good, and you should try it sometime. Don't hate on the pork ribs. But three-day weekends to us are, are moments of recreation, you know? They're, they're, they're a time for us to unwind, to find a stress relief from the grind. But God has a different image of what a three-day weekend looks like. God uses three days differently according to the text. It's so, it's so amazing because the uniqueness of how God operates is often revealed to us in special moments. Even though he's always doing amazing things, sometimes he's doing those things and we're not aware, but we know, but we're not really aware. And then there's special moments where he says, I need you to be aware of this one. I need you to be aware. He'll always be an audacious God, moving mountains with faith amongst our unawareness. But sometimes he has to arrange a special event. Everybody say special to remind us that he is the God of the world and over the things the world has called impossible. He desires to bring all of us back to a level of awareness, that we keep this awareness with us daily. And this three-day weekend is not perhaps the kind we're used to, but it's something God arranged for his people. God arranged a three-day weekend for y'all this week. It's for you, his people. It's for me, it's for you. It's for us, his church. As we normally find recreation and rest in holiday weekends, in these three days, God was working. God was working. God was doing something during our rest. Do you remember when he made Eve? What was Adam doing? He was sleeping. So it's easier for us to forget that God is working on our behalf when sometimes we're resting. Today, God is revealing, he's revealing the extension of his sacrifice that transcends the barriers of time. This is not your normal three-day weekend. I think it's, I'm thinking a weekend at Bernie's, the movie. It's not a normal weekend at Bernie's. Ben's got that on his collection at home. <laughs> this is a three-day transformation from the impossible to possible. God is greater than your circumstance. God is greater than your impossible circumstance. He's greater than the impossible thing that you feel overcome. He is greater than that. My title this morning is Three-Day Weekend. Three-Day Weekend. When weekend, you know he's about to do the impossible. It's when God plans his three-day weekend, we know he's about to do the impossible. So my thought for today was this idea of impossible, that we just have on what God can do in this culture. It feels that way. But God has to arrange moments like this to remind us. It's like wedding day for the church, you know? He's got to remind us. It is the wedding day for the church because we are the bride and he is the groom and he went to the cross. He offered up a marriage. I'm losing my mic. My mic's slowly. It's okay now. It's, it's, it's the devil, right? We just blame the devil. It's got good batteries. Can I talk about batteries in church? Will that offend anybody? 
It's got good batteries. I don't know if it's maybe a gate or something. I'm not sure what's going on here, but it's going in and out. But we, I've preached without a mic before. It's not going to stop nothing because today is God's day. You can clap for that. Amen. But this idea of impossibility in our life, we, we live by this self-doubt of limitation, this self-imposed limitation theory that I am not qualified to do more than what I understand or what somebody else says that I can do with my life. And that's what they did to Jesus. It's, it's a mind game. It's what we do to our minds with doubt that we let others influence what we set out to achieve. We let them determine before we start what we're willing to do. It's a self-imposed limitation. But God is the God over the impossible. And so what the world says is limited, not going to happen, and it can't work. God says, I will defeat doubt through my death and resurrection and through the faithfulness of my humble servants who come to me. I'm the kind of guy, I got to see it to believe it. That's not faith, though, and I've learned to be more faithful If you have to know the end from the beginning, that's not faith. That's process, and that's predictable. But faith is going anyway. It's starting the race without knowing what the finish line is. So my question to you this morning is, what if my achievements that God has for me could surpass that understanding that I've been telling myself all my life that is, is the limit of what can be done? Does anybody believe that God has something bigger and an achievement greater that he's gonna use you for that, you, that the world is saying that can't be done because look at how dirty your past was? Has anybody ever felt that and gone, no, I can do something more because God is in me. Greater is he who is in me that can do abundantly more if I walk when he says walk, you know? So do you believe that today? Has anybody have that conversation, that heart-to-heart with self and said, do I really believe that God can do something more in me than I even believe in myself? Come on, are you all with me? It's a self-imposed limitation, amen, brother. Little Mikey in his suspenders, he's the dapper bro for the day. Hallelujah, my man. <laughs> Oh, we missed you. This little guy was preaching at the theater over a year ago because he was fired up for Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Did you know that? Yes, sir. You know the Bible says in order to get in the kingdom, we need faith like him? Did you know that? Did you know what we become when we become an adult? We become a Pharisee with our nice robes, and we become really stupid sometimes. I'm talking to myself. Michelle got me the nicest robe for Christmas. Where's she at? Where's she at? What's the brand? What's the? Barefoot Dreams. I walk through my house barefoot dreaming with this robe on, and I just feel like I can fly. And I thought, this is what the Pharisees must have been like. Wow, I get it. No wonder they betrayed Jesus because I feel so good with my robe. Until I start to sweat a bit. And it gets hot, and I wear that into my office in the morning, and by 10 a.m., I'm throwing that thing to the floor because I drank the coffee, and I'm starting to sweat. And when you start sweating for Jesus, you don't got time for fanciness because you're going after people's hearts. And so the Pharisees miss this. And the, and the Bible says in order to enter the kingdom, which is heaven, we have to have childlike faith because faith like a child walks anyway. 
It starts the race even though they say it's a marathon and I've never even ran a mile and it's 26 miles and how am I gonna finish? If you don't ever start, you'll never finish. That's for sure. So the child says, okay, and they go. And that's the kind of faith God wants us to have. And that's how we break this self-imposed limitation. It's a mind game. It's a battle of the mind. We need that faith-based foundation. But today, again, is arranged by God. It's a situation that God wants you to be aware of. He wants you to see him work today. Today is a demonstration of what God promised. He needs you to see this special arrangement of the three-day weekend. Because if you don't ever have a moment to be shocked in your senses, you can forget the value of what Jesus on the cross really is. It becomes Easter eggs to you. It becomes little Cadbury bunnies. I can't wait till later. I'm going to get some from some people, and I just love those. They're so good. But when I start, like, forgetting really what this is about, God says, I'm here to remind you over and over and over because I can never let you forget and have this level of awareness of what I did for you. I just thought last year, Oh, there goes my notes. Sometimes you don't care if the notes fall. Last year, we were in our basement. It just dawned on me, a year ago, we were in our basement. You can take it for granted. You can take holidays for granted. You can take celebration for granted. Today is a great day to be joyful. But at the prayer tonight for dinner, I ask you to remember the awareness of what today is. And so I just had this thought a year ago. It was me, Nolani, Michelle, and Cameron in my basement. Does anybody remember the sermon? I had the cross in my hand. My dad keeps crosses on standby. I don't know if I made this one or he did. I know I took some wood from his garage. and I got so excited that I forgot I was in a nine-foot basement, and I slammed that thing right into my ceiling. And I'm telling you the story because that was a year ago. Here we are. And now we're back in his house. And so I'm having a moment of reflection and that I want it to be an illustration to you that God is doing things when you forget he's doing things. It could be back in the basement. There could be no basement. There could be nothing. It could be a tent, like a tent revival. I don't know if I'm good enough for that. But it could be something. But God delivered us through last year. And he's so good. He's so good. And y'all stuck with the church. We didn't know who would come back. We didn't know if you loved one seat church enough. I said, that's the devil's lie. We're doing God's mission. And so I'm just thankful for that. That was my little side thank you note that we get to be in house and worship today. But just like the apostles, we can roam all day for three years with the Messiah. And the day he's gone, what do we do? What do we do now? Yesterday was day two, right? We, it's observed. You theologians, I get it. We're observing yesterday as day two. I'm not saying it was exactly yesterday because I know the Sabbath is on Saturday and we celebrate on Sunday and blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying we observe day two after the Good Friday because that's what we do. And, and what did the apostles do in day two? That's the part nobody talks about. How do you think they felt? Do you think they felt confident? 
Or do you think they were full of self-doubt in that moment? That's the part nobody remembers. It's the part when he was on the cross, and then it skips to the resurrection, you know? But I always talk about what about when they were hanging at Starbucks, and Jesus didn't show up this time for the Bible study. I don't know about you, but everything he taught, I would start either going, he didn't mean it. He didn't love me like he said. He left me. And at the same time, God's going, I didn't leave you. I'm preparing something to you. This is a three-day journey, and you're only in day two, apostles. So I don't know about some of you, but yesterday this really clicked in, and I was talking about it on social media, and I was saying, like, being in that in-between is the part where we can get lost and forget everything that's been told to us for all this time. Three years, Jesus himself was walking with us, says the apostles. And as soon as he's gone, everything goes out the window. Isn't that sad how we do? That's the people thing. That's the people mentality. I heard a great pastor last night preach it because I like to listen to other preaching. And he said, he, said, he said, the same people who praised him coming in on the donkey are the same ones a week later decide to hang him on the cross. Just like that. He says, the people are fickle. Can I get an amen? Okay. Oh, so good. So God had to arrange this because when day two hits our life, we can start doubting that he ever really did anything for me, that he rather, re- really can do something impossible according to the world with my life. But day three is coming. How do we get there? How do we get through day two? I know how, I know how day one started. How do we get through day two to get to day three? The way, the way to redemption is through sacrifice. It's through sacrifice. Faith is revealed through sacrifice. You got to go through Good Friday to get to Sunday. You got to go to the cross to get to the tomb. And so that's the part that makes this journey worthwhile. Can I say that? You know what worthwhile it is? That means there's sacrifice in it. There's an investment in it. And sometimes you got to tell people things they don't want to hear because it's worthwhile. Because if I only told you everything you wanted to hear, it wouldn't be worthwhile. There'd be no integrity to this gospel. And if we only told ourselves in the mirror everything we wanted to hear, we'd be worth less because we wouldn't have anything worthwhile in us that made us say, yes, I'm better than this. God can use me, and God desires to. No sacrifice, no redemption. Does anybody work out in here? Anybody? You see how my voice changed immediately? (laughs) Who works out? Come on. Okay, who has thought about working out in the last six months? Who has never worked out in the last 12 months? (laughs) Who has just never thought about working out in the history of their life? Anybody, anybody. Okay, we're getting somewhere. So, so can I tell you a funny story here? This is funny. This, don't judge me. Well, you'll judge me anyway, but I'm gonna tell you, but don't judge me, but you will judge me. It's all good. I got Jesus. So in January, I was scrolling on Instagram and they throw you advertisements. And I'm always checking out like different fitness things and different uh, clean eating supplements and all these things. And I come across this workout plan called Basement Beasts. Basement Beasts. Okay, some, some of you ladies might not understand this. But a man, when they're referring to like, like built and strong and everything, he's a beast, man. He's a basement beast because you work out in your basement, okay? And that's weird. Like, like why would you want to be called a beast? I was just looking for like maybe basement fit dad. Like, just in the middle. 
But this is basement beasts. And, and the whole workout is 20 minutes, four times a week with some rubber bands. Uh, excuse me, but you're going to make me a beast with those rubber bands? So I'm judging. I'm judging. This can't do nothing. And so day one comes. It's 12 weeks before you graduate into Beast Nation. <laughs> beast, uh, basement Beast is 12 weeks, and then you graduate into their full all-year all program called Beast Nation. And so, so I get the bands, and there's green, which is like, if you're really strong, and then there's purple, which is like, okay, no one will laugh at you. Then there's red, which is like, okay, I'm kind of weak. And then there's yellow, which is like, okay, my five-year-old can do better than me. Okay? So I've got them all. And, 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 and so the first day is legs, okay? And so he's, he's got this accent. He's like, hey, beasts. He's on the screen. He's in Hawaii. It's so good. Fabian, if you're watching, shout out to you, bro. Really like your program. But I'm going to make an illustration here about, about this, this workout. And I'm thinking, it's just some rubber bands, and it's just some legs. And so the first day, he's like, okay, beasts, take your, take your green and today's explosion and wrap it around here, and we're going to do front squats. And he's like, okay, beasts, one, explode. One, explode. He's hollering, explode at me. I'm like, what's going to blow up? Is, the, is there a bomb in here? Explode. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm starting to do like little half ones. Explode. And next thing I know, there's no band, and I'm just, just my two little chicken legs. And I'm like, explode. And I'm like, exploding, but nothing's happening. Anybody ever skied and got jelly-legged? Your legs are like jelly. Okay, so, so, so I became like butter, okay, in, in like five minutes, and the thing was 20 minutes, and what I didn't understand is that what made the program effective was the tension was consistent. There was a consistent tension and so I judged this program, and it really took like a real sacrifice. And I, I went through all 12. Come on, can I get a pat on the back? I actually did something and didn't quit. I went through all 12, and um, now I'm on to Beast Nation. I just want to be Fit Dad Nation. But, but I judged those rubber bands, Larry, and I told Michelle, I said it was really amazing because there was this constant pressure on every workout. It's the red muscle fibers. The red muscles are the enduring muscle. The white are the explosive, fast twitch, you know? And so, so he, had the, he had you constantly keep tension on the muscle. And so when you think nothing's happening and it's too easy, all of a sudden you can't walk. And I'm limping up day one, and I go on the Facebook group, and I said, anybody else have this problem? They're like, oh, yeah, none of us could walk after day one. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I did it right. That's good. And five days later, I could walk again. It was great. But the point of the illustration is that if there was no sacrifice, there would be no growth. There would be no change. There, it takes a little bit of work sometimes, and, and it's not fun. It's not fun to get down there and put on some rubber bands and do the thing and everything. It's not fun always to, to deal with people when, when, when it's easier just to ignore people, and it's, it's not fun to go to work when, when I don't really want to go to work. I'd rather just stay home and play Xbox with my kids, but, but I got to go because I got to do some things that aren't fun because without a sacrifice, there's no redemption in what I'm seeking. So even Jesus battled this. He even tried to opt out in the garden. He said, if it be your will, God, that, you, that, that we may pass, that this cup, I'm paraphrasing really badly here, that this cup may pass from me, if it be your will, God, so be it. But it wasn't God's will that the, cash, the, the cup should pass from him. God says, you got to go through the hill in Friday because I need you on Sunday. I need you on Sunday. No sacrifice no redemption. And perhaps today, God has got something for you, yet your comfort is distorting your 
mobility, like those rubber bands. Your comfort has worn out your ability to be mobile for God. Mobile means moving. You always hear me say, you step, I step. That's a little thing we got here. That's God talking. He says, when you step, I'll step to you. You step first. That's how faith moves. And so, so comfort is the number one distorter of mobility in God's kingdom because comfort has made us think, God will just bring me my latte and I can watch him and I can, I can bounce around and I can, just, I can a la carte my church walk over the digital infra, uh, interwebs with my latte and all that stuff's cool and everything, but that's not the gospel. The gospel says take it out of here and into the world. No sacrifice, no redemption. Jesus had to do it to find glory. And if he can do it, you can do it. When God plans a three-day weekend, you know it's on. It's about to be the impossible made possible. You know, he carried that cross up the hill. Can you imagine? I mean, if it held a human body, it had to weigh a lot of it had to weigh a lot. Like, I don't even know if I could carry that thing. But Jesus carried it up the hill after he was beaten because he knew what was coming on Sunday. So he was willing to do whatever it takes. It's not, can I do this? He said, I don't think can I. It's whatever it takes. There's no plan B with God. God says, just do my will and I will take care of the rest. So will you bear your cross and follow Jesus up the hill today? Will your tomorrow be back on waiting for a sign? And God says, I'm giving you a sign when you went to church and the preacher said, get up your cross and come up this hill. How many signs do I got to give you, says the Lord? Amen. Little Michael, what you think? Oh, he's on his tablet now. Amen. (laughs) Will you bear your cross? The key for the tomb, just so you know, is up on the hill. You want to get out of your tomb today? You got to go up the hill to get the key. You with me? The key to the tomb is on the hill. And if you're willing to go up the hill, God will do it. God will do it. God is the king of the impossible. With many says, this is impossible. But with God, all things are impossible. Come on, somebody. Do you believe that he can do it? God will do it. God will do the impossible in your life. I don't care if your family laughs at you. Get used to it. Because anything good for God, people are going to scorn you just like they did Jesus. It don't matter. Any type of sacrifice. You're going after that business dream? It takes hard work. Go after it. When you're up at 2 a.m. and everybody's sleeping, God's watching. God knows what you're doing, and God's blessing you because when they're resting, God is working. You get it? That's how he does it to you. He's working for you. He's for you. If you can stand with me this morning, God will do it. Look to your neighbor, tell him, God will do it. What will he do? He'll change my life. He'll do the impossible. I hate when preachers say something. I don't know what they mean. I'm saying God will do the impossible in your life if you let him. Come up the hill with me, says the Lord. Come up the hill with me. I don't know about you, but I got my own keys. Thank you.
I got my own keys. Thank you. I got my own keychain. I got my own keys to get up the hill. Thank you, God. But the problem is I went up the hill and I didn't use, I didn't use the keys. God said, and now I'm at the tomb and I'm stuck and I'm locked out and I'm calling Jesus AAA. Anybody else called Jesus AAA? Oh, your, your, your card ran out. So you're just stuck stuck. Yeah, those keys don't work anyway. So you can quit trying. And this kind of this lock, AAA can't open because it's a kingdom key. And only God has the keys to the kingdom. And only God can open the tomb for you to be like him and ascend to the kingdom. Give up your keys of control. Come on, somebody. We're going to give up our keys of control today and use the key that got us off the hill into the tomb and get out of the tomb like Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, that's hell. Where is your victory? Because our Messiah has conquered death. And our Messiah has said that when I get up, you can get up. And when I get up, says the Lord, that means you can get up. And when I get up, you can get up, says Jesus.